Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today, I am actually honored to have Mike De Niro on. I designed a house that he built uh, in New York when Frank and I were living in New York a few years ago. And um, he told me the other day, it's a net positive house. And I said, you got to come on the podcast and tell us about it. So Mike, introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us who you are, what you're up to, and then we'll talk about your house. Okay. Well, thanks, Emily, for the introduction. Um, I grew up in Rochester, New York, and built a energy efficient house with Emily's help on Cuca Lake, which is one of the Finger Lakes in beautiful upstate New York. And it's the first house that I ever built that included solar. We have 30 solar panels on the roof facing south. And um, I was told at the time that it might get 10 megawatt hours on an annual basis. And so far, it has exceeded that by a little bit. Um, and so one of the things I really love doing is pulling up my phone to see how much energy we're generating. And if it beats last year's or the year before, um, and it's really cool because you can pull up the history, which we have three and a half years of history now, and you can tell what summer was really good, what days were really good compared to what you're dealing with now. So it's kind of fun. I've never been called a geek. I guess I could be a little bit geeky about always looking at my phone and checking what the solar generation is. But um, it was fun. It was, it was a fun project that we did. And um, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be anyone else in our area who's doing this kind of construction. Yeah. That was a big factor that I ran into when I was working down there. Um, and Frank and I knew we probably would only be there for a short amount of time, but I thought, hey, you know, let, let's introduce this to the area. But the Rochester area and, and down in New York, I found there aren't people doing this or there aren't a lot of people and there's not a lot of people talking about it. So when you were interested, um, I thought this is a great opportunity for, you know, for both you to, to tell other people how great it is. Uh, and, and then also, I know you said you, you're not geeky, but um, I loved that when you, asked to start doing this project, you were really interested in a lot of the net zero stuff and the building science and, you know, oh, where can I look this up and where can I find out more information about it, which is where I hope that all builders go is just the level of interest that you had in, in doing it and understanding what we were doing was really cool for me. So, um, so it, it makes more power than you use, which is awesome. Um, how is it living in the house? Comfortable? Quiet? (laughs) Um, it's very comfortable for the most part, but here's something that I learned after the fact. So we have three levels on the house. We have a lower level walkout with 10 foot ceilings, which is really awesome because it's like beautiful living space and it walks out to a patio. Then we have our first floor, which um, is, you know, your your sidewalk driveway level and it's barrier free. I've been a um, 
proponent and a builder of um, no step entry houses since day one. And then we have a second floor, which has office and bedrooms. And the one thing I would do different, the one thing I'm disappointed in is the fact that we installed mini splits on each level. And the mini splits installed in the general space work phenomenal, but they don't reach every corner of the house. It's not something I knew. It's something that I thought it would, it would, um, I thought the uh, temperature in the summer and the winter would kind of find its own balance and be really you know, within one or two degrees. And that's not the case. Um, you really need, if you're going to use mini splits, they need to be ducted or you can use what I would think would be another great solution would be um, a high velocity forced air system uh, because the ductwork is really small. So that's, that's the one thing that's a disappointment. Everything else about the house we love. It's quiet. We walk around in t-shirts most of the time. The Mitsubishi mini splits that we did install are super efficient. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's really um, a good match with virtually everything we put in the house. We use triple glaze windows that we um, purchased from a company in New York City, but the windows and the sliding doors originated from Ireland. And they're a American style casement as opposed to a European tilt, which is something we wanted. So they're heavy windows um, and they just, they work great. Um, and so we're really happy. It's really a very comfortable house. Yeah. Remind me again with the finished basement, how much square footage do we have? Um, like 1,250 square feet. On each floor? 1,250 square feet on the lower level. Walk on the lower level. Yep. And it's more on the first floor because part of that lower level was taken up by the garage. So where do you experience it's cold with the mini splits um, in the bathrooms on the front side of the house or in the kitchen? No, where do you really notice it? No, that kitchen great room is all open uh, mm -hmm. into the pantry. That's all really good temperature. I'll tell you where we have the biggest issue is if we have family over in the summer and it's hot and we have air conditioning on and they close their bedroom doors, it's not good. Um, so on the second floor, yeah. Second floor, yeah, for air conditioning. Um, also, if, well, if you close off a door, even in our uh, first floor master, if we close the door in the summer or in the winter and we're heating or cooling, the temperature is noticeably different when you walk into the great room area. So mm -hmm. vented, um, vented HVAC is really a must. 
It yeah, really I think is. in your climate, it definitely makes a, a bigger difference than it did here in Maine with the air conditioning. We, you know, we have two weeks where where we do air conditioning, and you know, it's it's not uh, as big of a deal. But definitely where you are, I think that having the the vented system, which we didn't even consider three years ago when we talked about your project, but having a ducted uh, heat pump would would have really helped serve, I think, those those areas with closed doors. And that's some of the feedback we've heard. In in Maine, where we have a lot less air conditioning, we've done um, you know, a little bit of electric resistance in in some places, which has, has been a great way to kind of make up for it. And I think you have a gas fireplace in your great room, right? Um, we we do. We have a gas fireplace and we also because we're so used to cooking with gas, we did a gas cooktop. And I know that you can replace the gas cooktop with probably a convection um, electric, but some some things die hard, and that was one <laughs> that was one thing that we really wanted. We we have it in our other house, and uh, we like cooking with it, so. That is one thing that has been, um, we need to get some more chefs promoting induction cooking because induction. They've, they've made some, they made some great progress with in, induction and a lot of people really like it. And, it, and it's interesting because another builder that I work with up here in Maine owned a restaurant for 20 years. So in the first house that we built together as the test house, we put an induction range in. Um, and then when we built her, we sold that house and we built her house, she was like, no, I have to have gas. You know, that's, that's what I had. I owned a restaurant, you know, whatever. And she's kicking herself now because she's like, I actually missed the induction range from the first house. Like oh. she did that for, for, you know, two and a half years, I think. And she was really surprised. She thought, you know, she thought there was no way that, and she, she wanted to have the gas range and she's like, oh, you know, I, I miss it. And, but you're right. It is one of those things where it does it it's it's different and a lot of people struggle to let go of the gas and so then it just becomes one of those like okay we have this combustion appliance inside a really tight house so we just have to make sure everybody's healthy when they're using it right right so, well we, um, we usually keep the fan on low but if it goes higher than that you know what we do we crack a window or crack a door and it really doesn't the house is still temperature controlled. It really doesn't have. You don't impact. notice when the windows open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty great. So um, it's awesome to hear the things that you would have done differently, right? That's what people want to hear about. Um, was there anything that was really difficult for you while we were building it that you would have tried differently? I know we did ICF, um, which was how we, uh, lucked out getting 10 foot basement walls right because your concrete guy might have had a bigger problem if he had to pour really deep walls <laughs> um well no i mean i had a really great uh framer just a phenomenal framer best i've ever used in 35 years um and then on the other side of the coin um we ended up I ended up hiring an excavator who I thought was experienced and I, it's pretty hard to get the moving dirt wrong, but they managed to find many ways to um, get it wrong. So, you know, getting out of the ground, I've always said getting out of the ground is like the hardest thing. 
And um, once you're out of the ground, then it's, you know, it's, it's an easier task um, because there's, you, you've got to get that right. You just can't, you've got to get your footer right. You've got to get your excavation and your footer right. You've got to get your walls right. Um, and all your backfill and your waterproofing that those are such critical um, points to um, really focus on. And then once you're out of the ground, then, you know, you're, you're in good shape. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to hear too. I, I also find that excavation tends to be one of the hardest subs. Uh, so you had a really unique site too, where it went downhill towards the lake, right? So you had a lot to work with, with the walkout, how you got your driveway sort of down in on your tight space. And so uh, it was really important how you could get it right. So yeah. uh, interesting to hear how they didn't quite get that right. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't ever go into a project expecting, first of all, to get everything right. That's never no. going to happen. Never. Um, and one of the things that this excavator ended up doing was they ended up putting the wrong size water line in. And after we were all backfilled, I had all my stone and my fabric and everything in place. They had to dig it back up, which really upset me quite a bit. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I put a really good waterproofing system on the ICF foundation. And so um, I'm, you know, expecting that to really hold its place and, and protect the building from any uh, moisture or, or water penetration. Yeah, because you're, you know, it was really critical for you to do that because the water runs uh, somewhat down off your driveway too. So it was, uh, or down off the roadway. I mean, uh, so your house is down kind of lower than where the roadway is. So, so you kind of had to, had to work with um, where water was coming from and making sure you were draining it away from the house too. So right. um, what did you end up using on your ICFs on the outside? Uh, we used uh, Delta MS. So it's a sheet good product. It's dimpled. Um, what they do is mark the ICF with a marker um, where they can um, nail it. Um, you know, there's tabs on, ice, on uh, the various ICFs. So they marked all that. And then they run the sheet goods uh, over it um, and, um, and use these big headed nails to um, attach it to the ICF. And then um, once that's in place, you know, you already have your stone and your drain tile at the footer level. Then once the, um, the foundation wrap is in place, then more stone goes over that. And I probably put four feet of stone um, height-wise on this um, foundation wall. And I, I've always done that because, you know, you're going to get, especially on a, a, a site like we had where, we're at the bottom of a hill and there's a lake on the other side, there's going to be hydrostatic pressure up against that foundation, regardless of the type of foundation you put in. And it's really important for that water to find a, a fast path down to the drain tile that's at the footer level. And so the, the best way to do that is um, you, you can fill up, you know, you can put three or four feet of, of crushed stone up against that foundation. And then the other thing I did 
just to protect that stone from really getting um, a lot of silt into it is I wrapped uh, some ground fabric over the stone and then backfilled with dirt. So it was like um, a protective uh, mesh over the stone to keep it cleaner than it normally would be. Yeah, so it was really important on your side to spend a lot of time doing that. And it sounds like that's that's what you did. So um, what are you up to next? What burning building science questions and things have you been up to or researching uh, to, to go next? Well, you know, um, I've actually taken a little bit of a side sidetrack and um, I'm installing custom wine cellars, <laughs> designing <laughs> and building wine cellars. I've really got uh, a pretty cool one at my house and I've done a couple here and there. Um, but as far as building science goes, you know, with everyone being locked up in their house and, and the number of visitors being partly down to maybe just a really small circle. Um, it's really important to have a clear idea of um, what's what's most you can do to keep the indoor air quality at you know the most pristine level you can. So, in our house, being as tight as it is, we installed an ERV, and that was just part of the process. We had to put an ERV in to bring in fresh air and take out stale air. So we have that working for us. But um, I contacted the company thinking that that would be enough and they didn't really commit to it. They said, you know, it can help, but really what you're doing in the winter is you're bringing in air that doesn't have as much humidity and, you're, and, and the air droplets that someone can expel. Um, if the air is really dry, it doesn't have a lot of humidity in it, then those, those particles can float. So, um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is I really wanted something extra that would clean the air. So um, I purchased some um, filters that really seem to be working great. It's a three filter process. There's a pre-filter, a charcoal filter for odors, and then there's a HEPA filter. And the HEPA filter, you can run it twenty. You can run the filter twenty four seven, and you don't have to change the HEPA filter for a year. And because there's a pre filter that gets cleaned every thirty days, so those seem to be. I mean, I can really smell the difference just in the air uh, itself when we when we run these. And then the other thing I did is I'm anticipating that one of these days we might have some close friends or just family over which we haven't had yet and so we had a couple of just regular humidifiers you know if you have a humidifier from when you had kids or if someone has allergies or whatever and you bought one of those little cold water or warm water humidifiers we had a couple of those I brought those down and we have those at the house so that if we have anyone I would run the humidifiers I'd run the air cleaners and I'd have the ERV on low and um, other than opening windows and doors in the middle of winter, which really isn't an option, that, that gives us, I think, um, a pretty good um, way of keeping things safe. 
Yeah. And I would say the only other thing that I would add to that, right? Because your hands above what a lot of people are doing, uh, you know, even in the building science community, um, is have a monitor that measures the relative humidity and make sure it stays below 50%. And other than that, I think that's a that's a great solution to deal with, you know, the 10% relative humidity air that you're drawing in from outside when it's cold this time of year and, you know, kind of handling that droplet and moisture stuff is that, especially because you do have a couple of places in your house where it can be cooler, that moisture is going to co collect in those colder areas. And I would hate to have a mold issue after all these great three and a half years. Right? No, I know. <laughs> I know. So we actually do have a digital thermostat um, that also tells the humidity level. Great. So we've got those monitoring the uh, space. Yeah, see, that's awesome. I think what you're doing is great. And and with everybody staying home right now, that has been the big hot button. It's the book we're reading for BS and Beer, the Healthy Buildings book, which has a lot to connect both the healthy indoor air quality of our buildings and the economic impact that that has, right? And I think a lot of people are seeing that right now with the coronavirus is, you know, what what is the inside air quality of my house now that everybody's staying home working from home right you did you used to leave the house <laughs> now yeah. no one leaves the house yeah. so but i'm really glad that things are going well for you um and i'm super excited to hear how much you are enjoying the house um i'll have to make sure that i uh, you have to send me some pictures uh i'll have hey. to make sure i i post a picture or two uh, of of the house now that it's up and um We'll, we'll get Rochester and the Cuca Lake uh, <laughs> region. We'll, we'll get them into it. Maybe maybe there'll be more reception to it now. Uh, with I'm seeing a lot more influx of people looking for, for that, looking for the net zero, looking for the healthy buildings, looking for you know a better built product because of what we're going through right now. So so hopefully that's a that's a good uptick for you in your area. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Um, you know, our area is pretty conservative and things seem to stay the same way, but little by little, you know, um, I, I think it'll, it'll get here eventually might be last, but it'll get here eventually. I think the one thing you do have going for you, uh, hopefully in your area is that New York, um, is pretty good about adopting the new energy codes. So if people are meeting the code, your codes are at least getting better incrementally uh, over time. So uh, yeah. you'll just be at the forefront. You'll end up being the consultant explaining to everybody else how to meet those codes safely, right? Because it's it's not just a, uh, you know, a, a great house and the energy performance and the indoor air quality, but it's a durability issue too, right? You as the builder, the last thing you want is for somebody right. to call you back however many years later and say hey this has xyz problem because of you know whatever so right, right. Uh, hey did i ever did i ever tell you what our blower door test came in at no you didn't take a guess um two ach nope <laughs> 0.6 0.6 you know you did something right if you got it down to 0.6, right? So so in your estimation of time, right? And I know it's been a couple of years, so just guess. Um, how much more work do you think it took you to pay attention to all those extra details to get to 0.6? Well, you know, because you were 
involved with the design that we added an extra layer of complexity by having the garage in the lower level. And then above the garage is the master suite. So we had wiring and, and ERV tubing running from the uh, finished lower level area into the garage and then up to the master. So that one cavity took a long time. But if I were to take that out of the equation, um, I took it upon myself to insulate around all the windows and doors. And um, that was a lesson well learned. Um, but, you know, we used um, really great tape for inside and out. And so to answer your question, um, I don't know. If I were to identify hours, maybe 30 hours in that range, which in the grand scheme of things isn't really, isn't that big a deal. Um, and that's just, that's just work I did. You know, like I said, the framer I had was great. And the wraps, the, the moisture barrier wraps and stuff that we installed, he did all of it really great. And it was the first time he had ever done it, but he really paid attention to the details. And, uh, and then we used the zip walls on the outside. And um, I really, really like that system. So. Yeah. I think that um, the first time you do it, it always takes a little bit longer, right? Cause you're really, you're, you're really dialed into like, okay, why am I doing each one of these things and each one of these parts? And then um, after that, I think you, you get a little bit better, but what I heard someone say, I can't remember if it was on the BS of beer or on the podcast previously, was they assigned one person to sort of be in charge of the air sealing details, right? To make sure that all of those parts come together. And that's basically what, what you did. One, because you had you had an investment as the owner of the company and the owner of the house, but essentially you were that person, right? You made sure that all of those little details came together. And yeah. that's what makes the difference, I think, between people not being able to meet code, which for you, I think is three. three. AC yep. It's, it is three. And, and getting to point six, right? So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I forgot point six. That's great. So did you, um, I don't remember, right? Okay. So here's my memory gone. Okay. <laughs> um, did you, uh, did you get it certified as a passive house or get a hers rating or did, did you do any of that? I remember we, we talked with Matt and he did a lot of the, the evaluation for you. Um, but did we ever do any certifications? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember either. Right. Well, well we ended up, I heard, um, I heard help with that and we actually got a um, gold standard for green building and um, you know I don't think it went beyond that though yeah I remember we did all the energy models and all of that stuff which for me is what I do anyway with the um, the pretty good houses right like let's just track this let's verify let's see what we did yeah. um, so I remember we did a lot of that I remember you had a lot of that done um, while we were going through so you at least knew you knew what you were getting right. <laughs> so right has it has it has it performed the way that you expected? I know you said you have a couple of you know heating and cooling issues in in various spaces but um, overall is your, you know, your net positive and it was an 
almost all electric house minus the gas range and the and the fireplace um so so and you said it's making more than 10 megawatts a year so that's right right now we're like right now we're like 2.6 uh, megawatt hours ahead wow and there's not much being generated you know november december january are the three lowest months Right. So we'll come out of the winter probably around 1.8 to 2 megawatt hours ahead, and then it just starts building up again. Um, yeah. yeah, no, really, the house is, like, so comfortable. It's just, it's hard to explain um, how much nicer, how much more comfortable the house is just to be so quiet and to be uh, virtually um temperature comfortable in virtually every room yeah a big difference from some of the the really old houses that you've probably worked on in the rochester area over your career like oh can you can you make this less drafty here it's like (laughs) well (laughs) we can try but so well, Ari, I don't want to keep you for too long, but it was great to catch up. I'd love to hear more about your project and and send me a couple of pictures. We'll put it up. People okay. love to see uh, see the the after um, of, okay. of the house, and uh, we'll we'll keep posting about it. We need to bring right. some awareness to the Rochester area and get you a couple more net zero houses down on Kiuka. Sounds good. Thank you, Emily. You're welcome. It was great to see you. Tell great. Helen I said hi and the kids. And the grandkids, I think you have a couple of those now, don't you? One One. grandkid, yep. (laughs) So, all right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for taking time. I know you're off doing a renovation, so I won't keep you. (laughs) Great, thanks. Stay safe. Have a good holiday. Thanks for tuning in to the E3 podcast. I hope you guys have been enjoying these episodes as much as I have. I've had some really interesting guests, a lot of great professionals in the building science and architecture and building realm. So thank you to all the guests that have been on. If you're enjoying the podcast, like and share on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or leave me a comment on the website. And if there's somebody you'd like to hear from or you'd like me to have on the podcast, send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. Otherwise, have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you again next week.